Schooling is one of the few experiences majority of Americans share. Yet how much do we really know what goes on behind the scene? And what's up with cafeteria lunches? I team up with developmental psychologist David Yeager to explore the personal side of education by speaking with superintendents. I'm Andrew Kim, and I consider myself an accidental superintendent for the past 15 years. So grab your lunch money and welcome to Lunch Duty. All right, so uh, hey, for, welcome to our first podcast. For those listeners out there, we got uh, myself, Andrew Kim, former superintendent in Texas. We have David Yeager, developmental psychologist from University of Texas at Austin. Well regarded, of course, bio is pretty lengthy. You can check him out. And then we have Jeff Bird, superintendent of Dowhart Independent School District, fondly of West Texas. So Jeff, uh, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, Jeff, uh, you know, as we kind of uh, talked about in the past, you know, both of us want to just curiosity wise, just want to know about your path towards superintendency. There's a little bit, you know, a lot known about it in media about superintendents because of the role that we all play or have played. But at the same time, we really don't know, like, what's your background? You know, how did you become, you know, superintendent and, and so forth? Um, I know you're from Eastland, Texas, home of the Mavericks. But uh, yes, sir. how did you start? Did you all, did you grow up being a superintendent when you were a kindergarten kid or something? I, uh, by the time I got to Tarleton State University, I realized that my future as a major league baseball player probably wasn't going to come to fruition. <laughs> And the second best thing to me was, how can I make a difference in kids' lives? I was raised to, by a single parent, and uh, he worked his tail off and was gone all the time. But I, I had a community and a great high school coaching staff that, for whatever reason, latched on to me and loved me and uh, helped me feel good about myself and uh, that, that there, they saw something in me that maybe I didn't even know was there at the time. And I never once wavered from the fact that I was going to teach and be a football and a baseball coach and uh, was blessed to do that in some great districts. And uh, we I've got a 25-year-old that's in Texas Tech's vet school and a 23-year-old that just graduated from West Texas A&M. And we've got a 16-year-old special needs son, Jake. And uh, I wasn't a horrible dad, but I was a coach and I, my time was limited and when when we knew that we were going to have Jake and he was going to be special needs, uh, I'm showing my intelligence. But I thought, man, if I get into administration, I'll be home more. And the pay's a little bit better, but I'm certainly not home more. Um, in uh, 2009, we moved back to where I'm from, Eastland County, and I took a principal job at the high school in Gorman to be the high school principal and run some cattle with my dad. And apparently I didn't do a very good job because about nine months into that job, they demoted me to superintendent. <laughs> and that's literally how I became a superintendent and uh, was there three years. They were great to my family and myself. We loved being home, but Jake had some medical needs that we were able to address in the city of Amarillo. And Claude, Texas is 24 miles east on 287. They had a job opening and they had a counselor position for my wife. And we moved there and we stayed there four years. And uh, when my sons were old enough to go to school, the Vernon ISD board uh, 
posted the Vernon job, and one thing led to another, and we were in Vernon for five and a half great years. Jeff, and, you know, you mentioned and, something, though. I'm kind of curious, because you said that uh, you took the principal job thinking that you're going to get more time. You know, how did that how yes. did that turn out? Did you get more time? Now, I, I put more time in and was gone more. But when you're the boss, I can take my kids with me a little more often, you know, uh, I was able to attend more of my kids' things as the principal than I was coaching, uh, and and certainly as a superintendent, the same thing. But uh, we, I never dreamed of being a superintendent. It just it was part of the plan. And uh, you know, I, I will say this: I think we all have skill sets and we all have personalities. And for me personally, I'm an extremely analytical individual, and I believe now people that have worked with me may disagree, but. I believe I'm a better superintendent than I was principal, and I'll tell you yeah. why. When you're a principal, you make 10,000 decisions a day, and you don't have time to think. You just right. got to react. Well, I'm analytical. I want to walk around the pool and dip my toe on every side. Before I jump in, I want to know what I'm getting into. As the superintendent, you have the ability to be analytical and make decisions at your pace. So, And, Jeff, when you I, do that, you don't do that by yourself, you know, it's a team sport. Absolutely not. So how do you, Absolutely. how does that interaction work with your senior staff or, or cabinet, whatever you might call that? Whether you're a, a superintendent or the head football coach, I think there's a lot of similarities. The largest difference between being a head football coach and a superintendent is you're coaching adults. And adults take longer to buy in sometimes than kids do. Uh, so I, I, I attack being a superintendent like I did being a head coach. And I'm I'm a control. I was. Let me correct myself. I was a control freak. I wanted to control everything, not in a, as a dictatorship, but I wanted to be in charge. And the larger the district, the larger the role that you play, the less successful you can be trying to do everything. You have to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that have a different skill set than you do. Uh, I will tell you that I am unbelievably blessed at Dalhart, Texas. I have four amazing principals. We've got a wonderful assistant principal crew and the central office staff, specifically Sarah Nutter, our assistant superintendent and director of student services. Yeah. We're all on the same page. And yeah. I know what I'm good at. I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses yeah. are. And Is I that something to... that you guys do to like test each other's strengths or, or do you guys just naturally well, I, th I think it happens naturally, but I want self-evaluations of me. I want my staff to evaluate me as well as the board. And I want it to be honest. I'm, I'm not after anybody. I'm not going to be upset if somebody's honest with me. If we're not willing to self-reflect and look in the mirror, how are we going to grow? Uh, so I, I really appreciate when my principals and my assistant soup and my business manager sit down and say, Mr. Bird, we hear what you're saying, but, but here's where we think you're at. And here's where we think we need to be at. Jeff, is that something that you intentionally say to your senior staff? Hey, tell me in oh, every day, or do you just naturally just do it? What, I mean, what are some of the things you say about that though, to, to give me some signals that says, Hey, I can tell you, Jeff, I can talk to you about this. Okay. So in my past, growing up as an assistant principal, a principal, um, you know, you, you grew up in that system in the 90s and 2000s. So we've got to have administrative meetings so many times 
a week, so many times a month to meet a quota and would go sit in those meetings and would drink coffee and there was no productivity. Nothing occurred. We were regurgitating data. And I, I refuse to be that guy. So I only want to have two administrative meetings a month. Once a month, we're going to meet and go over maintenance and operations of our facilities and what we need. And once a month, we're going to meet as an administrative team and we're going to go through uh, curriculum and instruction and that kind of data. So it's only twice a month. So on each at each building we have, we have a principal and assistant principal. I don't want the same person at both of those meetings. Does that make sense? I let the building principal determine I'm coming to the maintenance and operations meeting and my AT is going to the curriculum meeting or vice versa. I'm not going to dictate that. So that's twice a month, 45 minutes max. I'm selfish. You and I both got into this profession because we absolutely love kids and we want to be around kids. At a district the size of Dalhart, Texas, I don't have a building in a hallway where I can go high five kids every 30 minutes. So we created a system when I was in Vernon where we had a huddle. In Dalhart, I only have four campuses. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I start my day at a campus. And my purpose is, is I'm going to them. They're not coming to me. And I get to be around the kids and the teachers. Yeah. So we have a huddle for 30 minutes. My 100% of my focus and attention is on that campus and what they need for me to be successful that week. When we get done, I want to go in three classrooms a day. And before I leave those classrooms, I want those teachers to give me one positive parent contact. By 9.15, I'm going to leave that campus. I'm going to be back in my office. Before I do anything, I call those three parents and I brag on them, on their child. And in today's world, in public education, we've created a system where the only time we reach out to parents are when things are bad, and shame on us for that. A parent's going to be way more receptive to, hey, your son or your daughter's not behaving. Can you help us? If we've called them and built a relationship and told them how awesome their child was. Yeah. So I've got one non-negotiable as a superintendent. Every staff member has to make one positive parent contact a week. Every principal has to make five positive parent contacts a week. And I make 15 positive parent contacts a week. And I believe by us doing that, since I've been in Dalhart, we're changing the climate and culture of our community's perception in public education, perception outweighs reality. And I don't want the perception of us not caring for their kid. Yep. If they don't know we love their kids, it doesn't matter how great our systems are. We're not going to be effective. Jeff, you know, for those listeners out there, Jeff is wearing a black cowboy hat, a vest. The only thing he's missing right now is a badge on his chest. <laughs> now, you know, I, if I'm working for you, Jeff, I'm thinking to myself, whatever you say with a cowboy hat on and all that, I'm going to listen and just going to follow orders. But uh, do I get to say something back to you and be able to say, hey, I don't think we're doing that right or anything of that nature? Absolutely. I, I have an open door policy and uh, I want, I, I don't understand how anybody could work in an environment where they didn't have input or say so. And I certainly, when I, when I walk in a boardroom, I want the board to take into consideration what I'm sharing with them before they make decisions. Well, how effective would I be as a leader if I didn't allow my administrators 
or my staff members the same opportunity that I'm asking the board to give me. I want to be better. We hear these phrases a lot, though, Jeff. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to question it because I believe what you're doing. You know, I'm just kind of always wondering because what we hear, like, surround yourself with good people, open door policies. Um, those are spoken by, you know, many of our friends and colleagues in the business, you know, so. Sure. So what do you think is the challenge, though, that, uh, you know, at some point, things are not necessarily correlated to, you know, things are not going well in some cases. Um, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? You know, what, what do you have to say for that? Well, I'll, I'll revert it to a lesson I learned in 1996 coaching football in Dumas, Texas. We had an old cowboy as an offensive coordinator. His name was Ricky Nix. And Ricky uh, saw something in me that I didn't really know was there. And at 24 years old, I got to coach varsity football. And I was a raw, raw guy and wanted to be on the field with the kids. And they informed me that I was going to go sit in the press box with him. And I didn't understand why. I, I thought they were not utilizing me by putting me in the press box. And uh, Coach Nix would say, hey, I'm going to watch this side. I need you to watch this side. I want you to look for this. If you've got any suggestions, I want you to give them to me. And the thing I, I really appreciate about, about what Coach Nix taught me is if I had a poor suggestion – he would explain to me, I hear what you're saying, but here's why that won't work. He didn't make me feel like a fool. He yeah. took the time to explain to me the process and why that wouldn't work. If he, if I saw something that would work, he'd call it and would run that play. And at 24 years old, I thought the reason we were 14 and one that year is because I was a great coach. <laughs> and my point being is he's the best boss I've ever had. Mm. He believed in me. He bought into me. He made he he gave me value. Yep. And I've never worked harder for anybody than I worked for him. Mm. So as a superintendent, I want my staff to think of me the way I think of Coach Nix, so that I get their very best effort every day. And here's the deal: it's not all peaches and cream. Yep. And we don't hold hands and sing kumbaya. Yeah. If you don't love kids, passionately love kids, right? and you don't show up and work hard every day, we're going to have a conversation. You've had some tough conversations, haven't you? I, I don't. We will. But at the end of the day, that's not my goal. If you love kids and you work hard, I will lose my jo job with a board supporting you. Yeah. But my don't. It's loyalty is a two-way street. If you want me to stick my neck out for you, you better be doing what's right for kids every day. And we can argue or we can agree or we can disagree, but there's people in public education in the state of Texas that make decisions for adults, not kids. And I'm out on that deal. We're going to do what's right for kids every day. Yeah, Jeff. So um, I, I love the story of the football coach. You know, <clears throat> you're 24, like maybe a little cocky or confident, but also maybe like uncertain about how you're doing because sure. you're, you know, you're, you're young and you're a varsity coach. I mean, I'm, I'm coaching nine-year-olds right now and it feels very <laughs> high stakes. It's like, if I screw up practice, I'm going to oh, lose absolutely. the room, you know, one thing I've, I've, I've been interviewing a lot of people this year about who it was that changed their lives and a surprising number of people have a story like yours that when they were a teenager or early twenties, somebody was the combination of two things really tough and very supportive. Yes, sir. So like not a pushover, but also invested in your growth and success. 
And there's just something about that experience at that time that just, it's like you remember it in the pit of your stomach the rest of your life. I bet you can probably visualize what that room was like sitting up there in the press box. And how many other memories in your life have you forgotten and never thought about again? Uh, but that one stands out, I'm, I'm guessing. And I'm just kind of curious, how, how much does that influence your desire to be a mentor to your staff? Because you said you're a coach for them Absolutely. as much as you were a coach for your players. Uh, I, I, I take that very serious. I want our administration to take that very seriously. Um, you're right. I mean, I've been blessed my entire life. I had great coaches and great teachers. I could, I could tell you a two-hour podcast. I am extremely dyslexic, extremely dyslexic. In in 1982, they didn't know what that was. They just sit you in special ed. And I had a, a teacher in the seventh grade named Gay Hart. Every year that I've been a superintendent, I put her on speakerphone and I let her share her testimony with our faculty. And I start crying, listen to it, and I tell her I love her. I call her on her birthday every year. She and my coaches in high school are the reason I chose this profession. Once I got in this profession, there are people like Ricky Nix that took me under their wings when I didn't know what I was doing. And you're right. You're exactly right. We we put this tough uh, face on and we act tough, but we're pretty insecure about what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And to be better, we've got to get rid of that insecurity and build confidence. And I have been unbelievably blessed from the seventh grade in Eastland, Texas, until the 31st year I've always had mentors and people that cared for me, that wanted me to be successful. And I think they know, I think I have a decent heart. They think I know, I think they know that I love kids and they want me to be successful. And as the old adage goes, yeah. I want to pay that forward. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. There's, there's right. more years behind Jeff Bird than there's in front of him. <laughs> and I hope, I right. sincerely hope, that when I retire, there'll be two or three people that will share a story about me like I shared with Ricky Nix. That's not the reason I make these decisions, but I hope that I'm as successful as my mentors were with me. Right. And what's funny is you, you don't always know if you're creating a Ricky Nix story. It might be something the kid forgets, but other times you might do the exact same thing. Absolutely. And whether it's a kid or your staff, and they're never going to forget it on the good side or the bad Absolutely. side. Absolutely. Um, the, one of the terms we've been using recently is what we call a mentor mindset. You know, there's a lot of talk about growth mindset and it's important, but we're thinking about leadership styles and a mentor mindset is when you, you, you maintain both the high expectations and the support. Absolutely. And what we found is that a lot of people think you have to choose either the standards or the support. So you're either a dictator, authoritarian, what I would call an enforcer mindset, and people are like, "Well, I'm, I'm mean, but that's the price of success," you know, or they think kids these days or young people these days can't handle it, and so I need to just be their friend and be a pushover. I call that a protector mindset, where you're just trying to protect people. Um, and I'm just kind of curious, what does that, what does that look like in your district? You know, I mean, I assume you're trying to, to do both. Sure. But it's always a trade-off, and I'm sure you also want teachers mm. who are not on the dictator sure. side and not on the pushover side. Well, it, um, so I'm just kind of curious how you navigate that. So, a, I think that's what's wrong with the society and the world today. 
is that we've got a lot of parents that lean more to being that buddy than the dictator. And I've had, I've listened to psychologists speak at educational settings and tell people what's wrong with the world is, is, is you, you manage with fear and you're not going to be successful. My dad's 75 years old and I'm still scared to death of him. But some of my successes have been because I've, I'm fearful of disappointing my father. So I'm going to try to answer your question for you. And, and here's the analogy I would use. My first role as a, as a principal, we had a principal that was the nicest, kindest, sweetest woman in the world. And when she made decisions, she made decisions based on adults being happy. And academically, our kids failed because of that. Everybody was happy, but we were not successful. And we hired another young lady to come in and be the lead principal. Smartest, most intelligent woman I've ever been around. And she was an iron-fisted dictator. You're going to do this right now, my way, or there's the highway. Neither of those work. I'm not telling you I'm perfect. I'm certainly not telling you my style is, is the model that ends all be all. But for Jeff Bird, I've got to take a little bit of that from both of those and try to meet somewhere in the middle, if that makes sense. And what I mean is, if I don't take input and give ownership to my staff members, I can have the greatest plan in the world. And I'm not going to be successful because if the adults don't buy in, it's not going to trickle to the students. On the flip side of that, while we're making decisions, the one non-negotiable has to be we're going to make decisions based on what's best for kids, not what's easy for adults. Yeah. Does that make sense? I hope that I answered your question. Yeah, that's really powerful. I mean, I think people confuse the maintaining of high standards with someone being like just an insane sadist. But if you're doing it on behalf of kids and what's good for them in their long-term growth, then it might be tough right now. And you're going you're gonna to be relentless and not give up on the standard. Um, but you're not going to sit there saying, hey, if you can't meet the standard, get out of yeah. here. It's like, all right, how do I help you meet the standard? I'm not going to lower it, but I do want everyone to meet it. I, I see this a lot with professors at UT. So you get large intro classes like physics where or bio. And, and you're not going to pre-med if you don't do well yeah. in those classes, right? And so a lot of students fail. And some professors think, that's my job is to fail the people that shouldn't be doctors, right? So it's very high standards, but not very high support. And it turns out the only people that pass their classes are the ones who went to super rich prep schools and got fives on their APs already. So they'd already taken the class. On the other hand is teachers who were like, well, COVID, stress, mental health, these kids have had a hard time. Let's, you know, kind of just get everybody some A's. But I don't want those students to be doctors. Like that's not at all a good way to produce the best. So the the best teachers are the ones that are very high standards, but they don't mind if everyone gets an A because it means everyone met the standard. Like that's yeah. a, a good yep. teacher makes everyone get an A by making it super hard. Whereas the other ones, everyone gets an A because they made it easy or everyone gets a D because they're, they're like, well, A is my high standards. And I never understood that. I like in my class, I'm like, no, I want all I I want so many of you to earn A's that someone comes to talk to me about it and like what the hell Jaeger why does everyone get an A and then I'll show them your work 
And then they'll be like, wow, that's impressive. They deserve yep. an A. I'm yep. like, I know. That's why I did it. You know, um, guys, I got to tell you, we could we could probably talk another couple more hours, but I know Jeff's got to run. We're taking a lot of time of his uh, time. Jeff, before we go, though, uh, lunch duty won't be lunch duty unless we have a great lunch duty story from you. So uh, what's the best quick lunch duty story that you have for us? Well, you know, there's nothing that really pops into mind. Um I will say as a principal or a superintendent, I've never mind doing lunch duty. And the reason for that is it gives me 30 minutes to build relationships with kids. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I am the superintendent, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just a regular Joe Blow. Uh, I'm not going to wear a three-piece suit and tie, obviously. I've, I've interviewed for four superintendent jobs. I intentionally wear a cowboy hat. When I go to the first interview and I tell them, if you need a tie, uh, I'm not your guy, but I paid more money for this cowboy hat than most Armani suits. <laughs> Point being is, is I'm going to be me. Uh, when I coached, I think I had a knack for non-practice, not between the lines, joking around and goofing off. But my kids knew when the whistle blew and we were between the chalk, it was time to be serious and don't jack with Coach Bird. But I, I – I had kids that maybe I've regretted not reaching, but I don't think any of my kids will tell you that they couldn't tell I cared for them. Good. And my favorite lunch duty story, I guess, would be, uh, I really can't think of anything off the top of my head, but if somebody didn't want to do lunch duty, I volunteered for it because I got to hang out with the kids and act like a goofball for 30 minutes every day. Well, next time I go, out, I come out to Dalhart, Texas, I got to do lunch duty with you. And meet some of your students and uh, your teachers there, okay, Jeff? Well, it's it's important for me when I walk down the hallway that they know who I am. Well, not not to be a dictator that I'm in charge. I want to be out in front, and I want them to know who I am. And and I, that's I love my job, man. I'm telling you, uh, you if I've got any advice for a, a, a superintendent looking for a job, find a job that you can be a fit in. And I mean this sincerely. We've dealt with a lot of tragedy the last 18 months in Dalhart, and I'm certainly over that and don't want to deal with any more. But I sincerely believe in this region I have the absolute best superintendent job, and I, I wake up every morning with a smile on my face, excited to come to work. People ask me all the time, Mr. Bird, when are you going to retire? I'm going to retire when I don't wake up with a smile on my face ready to go to work. Yeah, or after your seventh national championship, <laughs> like Nick Saban. Well, Jeff is a legend <laughs> in West Texas. Uh, Jeff, yeah, easy with that now. Well, listen, listen. Uh, I know a lot of people think you know think fondly of you. Uh, they look up to you, uh, not only in that part of the Texas, but uh, throughout. So uh, I just appreciate you making time for us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And man, thanks for uh, joining us today. All right. Hey, I appreciate what you guys are doing. And, and to put a plug in for the Fuse, I am unbelievably excited about the opportunity, uh, not just for Dalhart, but the state of Texas. I think we've got great, intelligent teachers that really, really know their content. But I'm super excited about having an opportunity to help my teachers learn how to teach and speak the lingo that we're talking about today. I think I think this could transform public education if we'll just grab a hold and run with it. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the logic of Fuse is distill that essence of really, you know, high standards, but a lot of support, caring about kids, but expecting a lot. And if we could just get that in the water across the state, 
I think we could get a lot more done. Um, more than, you know, this app or that app or, you know, this program or that program, like let's change the culture. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your, all your yep. thoughts. Uh, the thing I'm excited about, I'm not a, a ribbon for participation guy. I think our kids crave discipline, but while they're craving that discipline, they've got to feel that we love them and we love them enough to hold them accountable. And we are going to refuse to allow them to be su not successful. We're going to grab you by the hand and we're going to drag you to the finish line if we have to, but we're going to make it together. Great. Hey, Andy, well, we should unmail that participation ribbon to Jeff that we are going to send him. Up <laughs> I, on know, podcast. I know. It's, I know. Just to throw it away. It when shows a, up. <laughs> <laughs> no, send it back to me. I'll take it because it was a nice swag. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff, I'll tell you what, Ben, um, you're awesome. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, and I'm, I'm, Proud to say uh, I'm a good friend with you as well too. Good so, night. and I know that the recent tragedy that you kind of been dealing with out there, we you know our our hearts out with you guys and appreciate our it. prayers as well too. So, uh, we appreciate you uh, making the time to join us today. All right. Hey, well, thank y'all for having us. And if we can ever help, we're more than happy. If anybody wants to come and see how we do things at Dow Heart, we're not perfect, but you're welcome every day that we're open. All right, man. Listen, you take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks, David, for joining as well. You guys take care. All right. All right. See you guys. Thanks again. Lunch Duty is produced by David Yeager and me, Andrew Kim. We thank the Latest Development Studio and the Texas Behavioral Science and Policy Institute at the University of Texas at Austin for their support. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next episode of Lunch Duty.